Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, the radio show all about traveling like a boss by being your own boss. Stay tuned for weekly interviews featuring guests that have built their own online businesses. If you would like to have access to our entire back catalog, visit travellikeabosspodcast.com for instant access. And here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey everyone, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 86 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Kyle Bearclough. Uh, he's the founder of Libertad. It's a very cool dress shirt that is made specifically for travelers, and it's on Kickstarter right now. So, Kyle, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. So, uh, we met here in Chiang Mai almost a year ago, I think? Something like that, yeah. And you, you had that idea to make a, your own garment, your own travel shirt, which was so different than what everyone else here in Chiang Mai was doing. Right. I would say everyone here is bootstrapping a, a small independent business. So either they're trying to build their own dropshipping store, some of them are doing FBA, some people are copywriting, you know, doing these kind of single person, small businesses. Mm-hmm. And you had this grand plan, this big business. <laughs> what, what, what made you different kind of, you know, what made you think differently from everyone else? Um, I think that... Uh you know, how this began, it actually, building, the, the idea came lots of years ago, but building the business started over two and a half years ago. And I tried a few other things. Um, it was actually, I was already in Chiang Mai for other reasons, and I was unaware of the entrepreneur community that was here. So I tried other, the, other things. I had no one to talk to and learn from, and so these things just kind of failed. Um, if I did know these other entrepreneurs, maybe they would have given me this great information and I would be doing something else. But what happened to me was like what happens to everybody, which is you start down a path, you get to some point and you say, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. I thought I did, but it's not what I thought. Or this is a great idea, but I can't monetize it. And I actually do have to pay my bills and you know feed myself and stuff like that. So I went through a little bit of a, you know, one of those career crises and I really dug down to find out what it was that kind of, you know, floated my boat, so to speak. And I went back to this idea that I had 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, and I started just testing it out very, very slowly to see if this idea was going to stick, if I had the energy to do it, if I had the desire. And here we are two and a half years later. Wow. So how have you been supporting yourself? This last two and a half years? Uh, actually, just uh, from savings. I haven't been doing anything else. I mean, if I had to do it over again, I might try to do something, maybe even one of the types of businesses that you talked about. But but this project's been pretty consuming. Um, even though it might not take me eight hours a day to do it, it takes a lot out of you. So I can imagine. And especially because there's no set, clear path. Uh, I would say nowadays there's a lot more people doing Kickstarter campaigns, mm-hmm. um, but there's no one who specifically has done exactly what you're doing. And I, th- I think at the time, you know, at least nobody I personally knew had done big Kickstarter campaigns. You know, right. so you know, and I remember specifically a year ago we were sitting in a coffee shop across from Pun Space, and we were just you know, I think it was like a weekly meetup, digital nomad meetup or something. Right. And I had asked, you know, oh, what are you working on? What do you do? And when you explained it, and I was so not ready for that, that I didn't even know how to respond. (laughs) I think if I had just met you now, you know, now that I've 
done a couple different businesses. I've met so many entrepreneurs. I've, I've interviewed so many different people. I would have something kind of intelligent to talk about or you know, maybe even some <laughs> right. advice to give. Right. But at the time, I was so clueless. I was like, oh, nice. Good luck. Right. And I think at that time, it was you know mainly because I didn't have the expertise and I didn't know anyone who succeeded with something like that. Mm-hmm. I would have... I don't want to say having my doubts, but it, to me, it wouldn't. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't have been like, oh yeah, go for it. You know, you should you should invest the next two and a half years doing it. Well, you know, you bring up a good point, and this this goes back to what a lot of founders say, which is sort of like, if I knew what this was going to take, what you know, when I started, would have would I have started? Would I have gone down this path? And you know, you didn't know what to expect, but I didn't really know what to expect either. I'm sure it was my project, and so I knew what it was and everything, and I liked it, but. You know, I ran into that a lot here in Chiang Mai. I was in masterminds, and even after the fabric was real and the shirt was real, a lot of people didn't know really what to say about it. You know, the apparel industry is a very old industry. Uh, it has its particulars and some laws that you, and rules you have to sort of play by. But everything that you see in the world that is changing, that's caused this whole digital nomad location independent movement, all the rules that are breaking, all the rules that don't apply anymore, some of that is happening in apparel. One of those things is crowdfunding. Um, I was talking to my factory, and I was asking uh, my fabric factory, and I was talking to her about what I'm doing, and she was amazed I had no experience in apparel. But she said, I'm starting to see more of that. Uh, because we have more information. Uh, we're realizing that we can learn as we go. And uh, we can connect with people that have more mi- wisdom than us and kind of guide us, even if that person's in Europe. Uh, or you know somewhere else so there are solutions to problems so you can actually now more than ever start to go down a path and with each step you take just sort of see the next little bit the path is clear but you might not be able to see that much further down the road I really like that mindset and I really applaud you and congratulate you for sticking to it and knowing your vision you know going out and finding those resources and making it happen uh, so when I saw your Kickstarter launch about a week ago, uh, somebody had shared on the wall and I was like, oh, I know this guy and I've seen his shirts and I, at first I, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it. I was pretty much just like everyone else who sees it on Facebook through a friend, right. you know? And I think the only difference between me and, and someone else is that I had met you in person. I know you're a good guy. And I was like, okay, let me give this shirt a chance. Uh, and I think, you know, I looked at the material, I looked at, you know, the video you made and I was like, oh, this looks pretty cool. And I was like, okay, you know, what makes this shirt different than other people? You know, so c- can you briefly tell us about what the actual shirt is? Well, first of all, thanks for the Kickstarter pledge. Yeah. I appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. <laughs> well, you know, the shirt is different mostly because of the fabric. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that like this, this is some kind of new fiber, but... Well, more, well, first, what is the point of the shirt? Like, let, right. let's, let, let's let's talk about that. Well, that, that's yeah, that's an excellent place to start because that's really the point of the shirt is really what's created the difference. Mm-hmm. And this is a shirt for travelers. However, you want to define that. You know, we're living this nomadic lifestyle, and so that's how we define it. But there are people that live in some city somewhere in some suburb that travel a lot as well, mm-hmm. or maybe they don't even go anywhere. They're just on the move every day. And the real question is how in this 
way that we live now, this, you know, our motion where we're, you know, rapidly changing climatic zones and we're going here and there, our lives are really defined by movement now. If that's how we're living, how can we make a garment that makes that easier, makes that more comfortable? Um, you know, and what are the challenges that are created by this life of movement? Right. So what is cotton not doing? What is polyester not doing? What are their weaknesses? And so I actually didn't begin designing the shirt with merino wool in mind. You know, I was actually thinking to myself, what, you know, what can be done with other materials and chemical treatments and stuff like that? Well, before we get to the, the actual um, design and the actual fabric, uh, just for anyone who hasn't even has no clue what we're talking about, uh, Kyle is wearing this awesome looking shirt. It's a very professional looking dress shirt. But instead of being this uncomfortable, you know, stiff shirt that you, you'll sweat in, that will get wrinkled, uh, it's, a, it's one specifically designed for people, you know, as Kyle described, it doesn't matter if you're a digital nomad or if you're a business traveler just going from LA to New York or to Paris. It's something that, you, that breathes, is, is comfortable to wear, uh, that you're not going to sweat in. And it's not well, you right. will sweat in it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that you won't start to stink. Mm. That's the whole thing. That's yeah. yeah, I guess you can't stop someone from, from sweating, but right. you can control what happens. You can control, happens. right, exactly. Okay. exactly. Uh, and, you know, great looking shirt as well. Thank you. Uh, Thank so you. you're talking about the fabric. So it's not cotton. You know, it's not something... I actually, at first, when, when I looked at the description, I just assumed it'd be something synthetic. You know, I thought right, it'd be right. made out of something like Under Armour would use. Right. But when I saw Merino wool, that's actually what really caught my eye. So what made you choose that? Well, like I was saying, you know, going down this path, I, I wasn't even really aware of Merino wool when I started. I just sort of had this idea, well, I'm going to start to try to solve this problem. You know, and, you know, and really what are the other problems that other people have? And, you know, we accumulate this list of it's too hot, it doesn't look good, or I look like I work in an office, I don't want to look that way, um, I look messy at the end of a plane ride, I stink, and you start to accumulate these things. And so um, in my Kickstarter video, I actually mentioned this briefly, I, you know, I talked to many, many people, but it was a textile chemical salesman uh, um, who counts Patagonia as one of his clients because they do sort of environmentally friendly chemicals. Uh, he's the one, he's like, listen, you have this list He's like, if you really need to tackle all of that stuff, he's like, you really probably need to go and uh, check out Merino Wool. By this time, I knew what it was. Um, there had been some other companies out there that, uh, um, like uh, Wool and Prints is this fantastic uh, uh, company that also has a 100% Merino Wool shirt. And they did a Kickstarter. And... I educated myself through that, and then there's some other brands. And Merino wool, and I mean wool in general, has been around for centuries. There is a lot of information on it. It's just that now we can make it light enough for a really, you know, for a travel application. Okay. So yeah. I remember when I was, I don't know, I guess more than ten years ago now, fifteen years ago, I worked at Banana Republic in the mall, and we had. Merino. You worked at Banana Republic. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. I was, you know, I, I was in college at the time, down in Orange County, California. And we had merino wool sweaters, which I sh I really liked them, you know. Mm -hmm. But I've always assumed they were so. First, I actually remember specifically thinking, why is this so comfortable ver compared to the wool of you know the wool sweaters I had as a kid, right? Which were itchy and just you know they weren't nice at all. Uh, the merino wool sweaters I, I remember just were so soft, like so luxurious. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they were thin. Uh, but I still always associated that with like winter year. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though now that I think about it, those sweaters actually weren't that hot. Um, do you have that problem with using merino wool for, for your dress shirts? Well, that that is what kind of distinguishes, you know, this kind of uh, shirt, the merino wool. It has natural uh, body temperature regulation properties. It's also smooth enough to wear next to the skin for most people. Um, you know, old wool is heavy. It's hot. It's itchy. Uh, and Merino is a breed of sheep that, you know, that their wool isn't like that. So it's that, uh, that raw material from the Merino sheep combined with some new technology and able to really kind of make some of these garments is really where the difference comes in. So it's a, like a specially bred sheep yeah. from, from like uh, Australia. Australia, okay. New Zealand also, yeah. And they're starting to... Uh, starting to grow them in, um, or raise them rather, in Patagonia, Argentina, stuff like that. It's uh, it's going to be, I mean, people are going to this, people are raising the sheep, and yeah, you're going to see a lot more of it. Okay. And is there a difference between merino wool and cashmere wool? Um, I'm sure there is. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, but I never, you know, heard of cashmere as a way, you know, where people would use it as like a... Sp- in, in this type of clothing like it's not right. like a sport thing right right merino has durability mm-hmm. um you know they've done a lot of studies on it and, you know certainly you know there's a wool promotion agency out of australia called Woolmark. they do all kinds of stuff where they you know you can bend wool a certain amount of times like i don't know twenty thousand times you can only bend cotton like 1200 times before it breaks polyester this many times they do all of these studies and they show a certain amount of durability and, you know, over other fibers, right? Okay. And so that's why they put it in sportswear. And, uh, but sportswear also has to be light enough. And this is, we will always with Merino, we'll come back to like the body temperature regulation and how fine the fiber is um, so that you can make a cycling jersey out of it or, you know, socks or whatever. Yeah, it's crazy because I never thought people would have, let's say, Merino wool t-shirt, but they're a thing now. Yeah, and they're expensive. Yeah, is is it just that? Is the material itself just expensive? Yeah, it's everything's kind of expensive. Yeah, I mean, cotton and polyester have gotten so inexpensive; they're so common. Mm. And but just the raw material of wool and what I have to you know pay for a meter of my fabric is several times more than I would for cotton or polyester. Okay. Yeah. But. So let's say someone ha- okay. So a, a traditional dress shirt, what would that normally be made out of? Mostly cotton. Okay. Really nice. I mean, I love cotton too. It feels really great. So but. I have a couple cotton dress shirts mm-hmm. uh, that I've made here in in Chiang Mai. You know, right. one of the benefits of being here in Thailand is we can go to a tailor. They can make us a custom made shirt for for a tenth of the cost of you know doing it in, in New York or in San Francisco. But I never wear those shirts. Why? It's because they're hot, you know. And I would wear it back home. Like so, the last time I wore a dress shirt was when I was back in the U.S. at a wedding. And even then, it probably wasn't that comfortable. But most places are AC'd and it's fine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if I had something that can breathe, that can wear just kind of day to day, and I wanted to dress up a bit, I would wear this. Yeah, I think what you're going to find over the cotton is that. That the merino, you're still going to be, you know, you go out in 100 degree temperature, no matter what you're wearing, you're going to be hot. Mm-hmm. 
But what the Merino will do, once you go back inside or change environments, it does handle the moisture more efficiently. It will dry more quickly. But you know from these cotton shirts that when it dries, it doesn't feel the same. Mm -hmm. It feels maybe a little sticky or clammy. Mm -hmm. Merino doesn't. It still feels fresh. Um, and uh, let's see what else. Yeah, and you're not going to stink. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know that you put on a cotton shirt in the morning and you go out about in Chiang Mai or especially Bangkok and you just do some things that you would normally do. How are you going to look and how are you going to smell by three in the afternoon? You're that, probably, yeah. probably not that great. That's definitely true. Uh, the only other uh, garment that, that I wear that has that kind of that similar properties is ex officio underwear. Uh -huh. uh, I first heard of that from Tim Ferriss a few years ago. And I was like, I don't know if I want to spend $22 on a pair of boxers. They're merino, right? Uh, no, or... I think they're, they're some kind of synthetic um, right. fiber. But they, I don't know how they made it. Um, but, you know, kind of same pro properties. Quick dry and right. antimicrobial. Yeah. So they don't smell. Right. And since then, I think that was maybe five years ago, I have literally threw, threw out every other pair of boxers. And I have a set of just these plain black, you know, you know, ex officio boxers. Right. And I've decided it's worth the price. I'm never going to wear anything else. Well, I think that's really the trend in apparel. I mean, even though that's synthetic and that's, you know, not necessarily the direction my brand is going to go down, this is where consumer tastes are going. And this is where textile science is going. It's how do we serve the customer better? What is the customer up against? And, you know, we have the technology to solve some of these problems. So, yeah, I don't think that we're going to have a lot of I don't know how long it's going to take, but the transition is going to be made, the same transition that you're describing for yourself. And, you know, they have merino wool underwear. So, you know. So their slogan was, I think it was seven countries, two weeks, one pair of underwear. <laughs> and then the bottom said, parentheses, okay, maybe two. Right, right. And what I really liked about it is not that I would actually just travel with one pair of underwear because there's not really a reason to you know no matter how light you are you don't need right. you know you don't need to go that minimal right but i think people like the idea of that minimality not you know not needing to have seven pairs of underwear 10 pairs of underwear right so i can see with your shirt you know having the same slogan you know seven countries two weeks one shirt right you know or yeah. you know and obviously people don't have to use one shirt but the fact that they can i think people like that yeah i think it's a good selling point mm -hmm. you know uh it you know you can wear merino for so many days in a row but it's kind of funny people in the business um not necessarily me but like the merino experts and stuff like that and people that you know i guess depending on where they are in their life and how they live it they don't like the thought of wearing the same shirt every day um you know, because things get dirty, but knowing how it handles and knowing how it performs, they just they want to make it to six o'clock in the evening or even go from work to dinner or something like that, knowing that they don't smell, mm -hmm. you know, that they have fewer wrinkles than their cotton shirt. They look better. They smell better. And that's really where it's at for them. Most of my customers are like that. Yeah. And, you know, just like, you know, I guess the, the weekend warrior for, for anything, mm -hmm. you know, like not everybody that has a four by four truck actually goes off roading on a mountain, right? But they like to know that they could if they wanted That's to. That's pretty much it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, have you tested this where, like, have you 
like hand washed it in a sink or something and then just mm-hmm. put it out to dry like how like how long does it take to dry compared to like let's say a cotton dresser you know you bring up something that i have intended to do and i've never gotten around to do it just to, it would be a really fun experiment to just put the clock on it and mm-hmm. figure it out i can tell you that you know when you hang dried in the open air it does not take long at all um you know having owned cotton shirts for decades uh, ever since i was a little kid those things can take forever um, but yeah, absolutely, this dries much, much quicker. And it dries even in, like in a hotel room, um, it dries pretty darn quick, uh, even not in the open air. Mm. So, and plus, you know, it's like, you know, it's, if, if you are in an enclosed space, uh, the way this handles the moisture, you're not going to get uh, any kind of funny smells coming off of it because it was wet too long or anything like that. You know, that, that's actually a really great point, too, because a lot of times when you're, tra- you're traveling, like, for example, we went to last year, last summer, I went to Prague. It was in Czech Republic, mm-hmm. and it was just a two week trip. Uh, and I didn't do laundry in Berlin or in Vienna because I figured, okay, when we get to Prague, we'll have a few days, let's do laundry there. Mm-hmm. And the hotel wanted to charge, I think it was like $8 per item or something. Wow. Something ridiculous. Right. Uh, my buddy Anton, uh, he paid it because he was like, "Oh, I can't have dirty clothes." Right. So his bill came out to like over a hundred dollars for laundry. Wow. It was insane, wow. and I just refused to pay it. I was like, you know, even if I'm like starting to make some more money online now, I just refuse to do that because mm-hmm. I'd almost rather throw away, throw away all the clothes and just buy new stuff if I had to pay you know eight to ten dollars per item. Right. So I ended up hand washing everything in my bathtub. <laughs> You know, I was I like, blame you. yeah, and then I just hung it up, you know, and all the cotton stuff took forever to dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then thinking about it, if it, if I, if I had any less time in that hotel room, you know, if I didn't have the AC on drying it and I had to pack it away, like semi moist, I yeah. would have completely ruined it. Yeah. It would have been, yeah, it would have been stinky and smelly and made your whole bad smell for sure. Yeah. So who actually needs to travel with a dress shirt, all right? Because I think, you know, part of being, let's say, a digital nomad, you know, is, or being a traveler in general, you know, mm-hmm. we think, okay, let, we can just go in singlets, you know, these tank tops, right. uh, flip-flops and, and shorts. Right. Um, but I'm, I don't know if it's because I'm starting to get older now. You know, I'm 34. Uh, and there's, there's a part of me now where I don't want to wear a tank top. You know, yeah. you know, especially if I'm in a city, if I'm going out to dinner. Right. And how old are you, Kyle? Uh, I'm pushing 45. Okay, nice. A couple months, yeah. So there's, I think there's a generation of people in their mid to late 30s or 40s that are kind of living this lifestyle now. Right. And in my mind, you know, this is a big part of your market. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think, I think really what it is is it comes down to what kind of experience do you want to have on a daily basis or, you know, you dress according to the experience you want. If you're going out on a date, you're going to dress a certain way to have the experience that you want. And one of the things I think most people find out, and you know, even some of the younger guys are finding this out too. Um, they come out here and we all start out the same way. We take off our shoes. We start to wear flip flops everywhere, singlets, shorts, and the whole thing. And, uh, at some point, if you are really thinking about how you're living, you find out you're sort of missing out on all of this other stuff. And you're not a tourist. 
as a digital nomad, location independent, you're not a tourist. And you're like, I want to live a normal life. I want to go to a nice restaurant. I want to do this and I want to do this. Or, you know, I would really like to meet some local people. And once you start to have, you know, some of these things be, you know, start to enter your head, you're like, well, I can't look like this everywhere I go. <laughs> That's the first thing that you come across. And, you know, this is something that when I was a backpacker 10 years ago, this is when I first got the idea. Um, you know, for my first three months around Thailand and Australia and stuff like that, I was in flip-flops and singlets everywhere I went. And then I went to Myanmar and everything changed. Things aren't that way over there. Um, I, yeah, the experience, the mood, the, the level of my connection with the other people, I forever changed. After that, it was mostly long pants. Um, and, um, you know, I'm like, where else, you know, it's like, I can't wear those cotton shirts either, you know, but there was nothing to buy. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just an evolution. There's an age component, but it's also this lifestyle is, it's your life. You're not a tourist. Mm -hmm. And so you do want to have a certain level of experience. I, I definitely agree. And I something kind of embarrassing to admit. All right, let's have it. <laughs> the first two years that I was living in Thailand, I wore Crocs. <laughs> and I didn't care. I, it was, to me, it was the fact that I was finally in a place where it didn't matter that much. You know, it was, you know thinking back, it was still a huge social faux pas. You know, I'm sure right. a, lot, a lot of people, you know, the girls hated it. You know, a lot of people didn't like it. Right. But the fact was, I was like, you know what? I'm free. I'm traveling. I'm living on this island. It's convenient. Uh, they're super comfortable. And I was like, I can't. This isn't something I could do back home. You know, I would never be, never be caught dead wearing Crocs. Right. And the fact that I was able to, I really enjoyed it. Now, you know, I would never wear a pair of Crocs again. Uh, but at the same time, you know, exactly what you said, our... Being here for, I would say, over, let's say, a year, you know, especially being a little bit more mature, a little bit older, you start thinking differently. Where before, I didn't mind living in a bamboo hut, you know, and I did for years. You right. know? I was like, all I need is a, a bed to sleep in, you know. If I have a right. mosquito net and a bed to sleep in, I'm okay. I can watch a movie on my laptop. I'm fine. Now, I live in a normal apartment. You know, we're sitting here. You know, I have a kitchen. I have a washing machine. You know, I have a couch and a TV. And I could not imagine myself, you know, living like a backpacker again. Right. And I think this is like the next level uh, of evolution for digital nomads or entrepreneurs or people, even people that just want to live abroad, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This evolution is the right word. And there's that evolution, but there's also the evolution that you've experienced by owning cotton shirts. Mm -hmm. That was an evolution. And now you're ready to move on to the next thing. So... A lot of it just has to do with your experience. You had the bamboo hut days. Now they're over. Now you want something else in life. And things just sort of tend to evolve in this direction. You know, as you become a more refined human being, you want to look and feel the part. I like it. So I wanted to ask you about the actual process of going from you know, having this idea to sourcing it and then putting it on a Kickstarter. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'll try to say this succinctly. So, I mean, the first step, um, and I think this is really critical, and this is, I think, a key difference to what I did compared to somebody that might choose a different business, a digital business, or something like that, which is, for me, identifying the problem and that kind of revealing the solution. 
I knew immediately I needed expert help. Okay. So I, instead of trying to t- trying to source the product, I immediately tried to source the individual that would sort of make all of this that was in my head make it real. Mm. So that took some real time. It took some money, um, but it's it, but without this person, without having found this person, um, none we would not be here today. I would be on to something else. Okay. So who is this person and how did you find them? Well, I'm not going to say his name because the name probably cost me $10,000 okay. all told. <laughs> um, and he's just, he's worth $10 million. Nice. Um, but what, you know, this kind of goes back to some of the skills that I developed in corporate sales back in the U.S., which is you get on the phone, you get on the internet, and you just start hunting. You're a little bit like a detective. You're like, okay, well, here's the wool industry. Here are the players in the wool industry. And you start calling. Mm-hmm. And you start, you know, you know, there's a dead end here and here and here. And then you find the one place that doesn't dead end. And eventually, I got the name. Okay. And uh, we started to, he didn't charge me right at first. He was just kind of checking me out. I was checking him out. He would help me. And at some point, he's like, I really, uh, I feel like this business has potential. So congratulations, I'm going to start charging you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, you said, you know, you spent roughly $10,000 to find that name what were some of those costs that you spent the money on most of it was time okay. just the, the you know in living my life and not doing anything else um, that's why I say it's a ten thousand dollar name because you know if I was to to if there was an entrepreneur here saying I want to make a merino clothing line mm-hmm. um, I could give them the name that would make that would just that would literally save them that amount of money that makes sense so uh, after he started charging you what like, what are the things that he was actually helping you with? Well, I described what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and he's the kind of person that was wanted to make what I wanted real. Uh, he certainly had his own opinions and things like that, but I'm the one that had defined the solution and the problem. And so together, uh, you know, we eventually made our way to, well, I found uh, an R&D partner, a factory. Uh, and this is not easy to do either. People that are willing to do low volume R&D with you, that are interested in it themselves. And so when you engage those kinds of people, just me on my own, they have a million questions in their head because they know just from talking to me. They might like the idea, but they know instantly I know n- nothing about their world. Mm-hmm. And they get the impression like this is going to be a headache. This is going to be a nightmare. But the second I got my wool guy on the phone with them, they felt totally comfortable mm-hmm. and things started you know, going 100 miles an hour down the right path. That absolutely makes sense. Yeah. I can see why, why that works. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they respected the fact this is my company, yeah. that I'm the one paying for it, that I'm the owner of the, um, of the vision. And they all are trying to serve the vision and they do respect the fact that I'm trying to keep everybody on track. But when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, to have him to talk to... Uh, that made e- an enormous amount of difference. That makes sense. And it kind of reminds me of, like, let's say you had a startup and you're trying to find you know, seed funding or something. If you don't have a technical co-founder, right. it's, and you're trying to talk to someone who's like, how are you gonna, actually going to build this? And you had no idea. 
they're not probably not going to want to talk to you. But if you have someone that can take care of that that part of it, yeah, they're like, okay, well, this person is smart enough to have this other person, so I'll give them a shot. Right, with without a doubt. Okay, without that is exactly where it's coming from, and I completely see an investor's point of view saying, if you're a solo entrepreneur, you don't have a technical <laughs> co-founder, I can't talk to you. There's a very good reason behind that. That makes sense. So just out of curiosity, you know. Did you just pay them like an upfront fee or like per hour or is it a revenue share? Uh, monthly retainer. Right. Monthly retainer. Yep. In the future, I don't know. It just, we haven't had that conversation. But, you know, I would, I would actually love for him to be part of the company. I mean, anything he wants, I would give him because I would just I'd lock him down. But mm-hmm. he probably knows that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. It actually kind of reminds me of uh, a lot of episodes on Shark Tank. Yeah. Do you ever watch that? I've seen it a few times. Yeah, I know what it's about. Fantastic show. For anyone who's listening who has not seen Shark Tank, it is a must-watch TV show. You'll learn so much, not only about what to do in business, but more what not to do. You know, I think if you see enough episodes, you start seeing that people get too attached to their business and they can't they can't step back from it and see it from you know an investor's point of view. And one of the things that comes up really often is the scenario where the product of the company is actually not worth anything yet. You know, it's a great idea, but it's not actually a real company yet. It's not making sales or profit yet. And they're asking for, you know, $200,000 for 20%, you know, which is, you know, eight, like almost a million dollars. And in reality, what most people should be asking for is say, you know, I want to give you 51% of my company, just run sure, with it, right. you know, or I want to be partners with you. I want, to, you know, I want your knowledge and your expertise. Here's 50% of the company, you know, for not that much money, just because you can help me with your expertise, grow it from just an idea to a multi-million dollar company. Right. And, you know, I'm actually facing that right now for the, for the last week I have been, um, sort of uh, burning the midnight oil writing a business plan. Uh, With the performance of my Kickstarter now, I've kind of validated the idea, which is probably the greatest strength of crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. People that are willing to put down that much money for a product they're not going to get for six months that they've never seen before, they've never touched, uh, really says something. And I'm engaging these investors, and there are these things. There, There are the Shark Tank investors, and they have their people behind them, and so they can say, I want that 50% of the company and they can really shock the entrepreneur and scare them. And you're probably right that that uh, um, the investor, uh, um, they should probably just go with the investor. These investors are probably not in the business of screwing them over, which is what it feels like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but what, one of the advantages of me having taken so long in develop, developing this is I know I need people to help me. Mm-hmm. I want it. A lot of those people on Shark Tank, I'm not sure if they really reached that point yet. Certainly, they're there seeking investment, but they still think they can do it all on their own. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's usually is, is one of the one of the extremes. Either exactly what you said, where you know they just don't know that yet, or the people who have done it for so long. Let's say they, they've invested five years or seven years, and they mortgage their house. And now they're so invested in that they, you know, they're too close to it as well. Yeah, that can happen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is the TV show recommend, recommendation of the week. <laughs> uh, so Kickstarter, uh, how how did you know that you wanted to get on that right away, or how did that come up? Not right away. Um, way back in the early days, I thought you know it'd really be great to find a partner and an investor. But I mean, when you just have an idea, 
I mean, people are like, ah, oh, that's cool, but they don't really care. Mm -hmm. And I started, you know, getting on a weekly webinar with some uh, angel investors uh, out of Los Angeles and kind of seeing how they treated the other entrepreneurs. And I thought, you know, it's really going to be an uphill climb to just get investment for something that I haven't even created yet. And so I started to slowly, as I went through this creation process, crowdfunding began to be more of the way to go. And I think that it was. It's taken me a very long time to get here. It's been exhausting. But to now having validated idea, I'm in a much better position to track uh, to attract investment. So if that comes through, it's going to definitely be worth it. Nice. So with your campaign, what was the goal for your Kickstarter campaign? 50,000. And how did you get that number? Well, you know, they, they do recommend, they say, set the number as low as you can so you can get the 100% mark as fast as you can. I see that from a marketing standpoint, but I was really uncomfortable with it because who knows how you're going to perform on crowdfunding, mm -hmm. on Kickstarter. You know, you can have a really responsive email list, but those people, when it comes time to put money where their mouth is, might not show up. So I didn't want to hit like a hundred, you know, a hundred percent of thirty thousand dollars and have a campaign worth forty and not have enough money okay. to do this project. So two questions. Uh, first, did you have an email list already? How did you build that? Uh, I built. I had about eight hundred names. Mm -hmm. I would have liked more, but the eight hundred names I had um, all came from fairly targeted sources. I did a lot of Instagram stuff targeting people that you know followed certain companies, especially athletic companies that produce merino wool. Those were the best. Um, you know, and, and so I felt like I had really quality emails. And there was some Facebook list building, but that's actually very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. You do get quality people on there. But, you know, Facebook is more for like, do you have something cheap I can buy now? Yeah. You know, not can I put my name on an email list and buy something later that I'll that I'll actually get in my hands even more later, later. Okay. <laughs> so that definitely makes sense yeah and you said that forty thousand dollars would not have been enough to to make this production run uh what like what was your minimum that that you yeah had pretty much around fifty thousand dollars i can do something you know i'm going to be more comfortable at 80 a little more comfortable at 100 120 and stuff like that then you know but this is a very cash intensive business mm -hmm. and factory minimums really come into play so the factory, if they want to go below their normal minimum, is going to charge me a surcharge. Mm. And, but it's still possible to produce. So, you know, we're going to be okay. Um, but I did not want to put some kind of arbitrary goal. I just, I mean, I thought, I thought long and hard about just doing 30000 which a lot of people do. But I'm like, you know, I don't know. I, I, I really, personally, I just felt more comfortable being at the 50000 level. You know, I'm really glad that you did that because, you know, I, I think I, I see both both sides having a point, you know, where yeah. you just want to, to get that goal. Because with Kickstarter, a lot of people don't realize if you don't make that goal, then you get nothing. Right. And all that money is just instantly refunded. Right. Uh, so it's it's been how many days now since you've launched? I think we're around, we're about halfway through. We're about... 15 days or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So we have, so it's a 30 day so all Kickstarter campaigns are 30 days. Uh, I think you can I think you can go anywhere between like 15 and 60 days or something like that. Okay. And so what made you choose 30 days? It seemed to be the most common. It see I didn't want to be at this for forever. I didn't want to do it for 60 days and you know, I wanted to you know, there's there are 
there's time schedules with the factory that come into play and and all those kinds of things. So if, if, if this was ending sometime in October, then that kind of puts me in a bad position for production with the factory mm. and their schedule. Okay. And in retrospect, would you have started this Kickstarter earlier, a month earlier maybe? Uh, listen, I would have loved to have done this a year ago. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you are trying to build a list, because here's the thing with crowdfunding now. We're past the stage where this stuff is a gimmick and a novelty where everybody rushes in and will just back anything just to try it. We're at the point now where you have to prove yourself. We're at the point now where you need to come to Kickstarter with a list. And, um, uh, you know, back in the day, your list didn't need to be that big. But you, if you were a cool project, you could get a lot of notoriety. I have this PR company working for me now, and they have to work really hard to, you know, get you into some of these online journals and, you know, and stuff like that because uh, there is so much crowdfunding out there now. It's just not news. So it's like, what is news? Mm. So this affects list building, this affects PR, and this takes time, and that's what's, you know, brought us to this particular date. But yeah, I would have loved to have done this a year ago. Okay. I like it. Uh, so I... I remember I was actually one of the, f- the first backers mm-hmm. of this just because, and that's how things go viral. I think, you know, somebody that you knew personally shared it, yeah. uh, backed it. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, okay, I'll back this. I right? appreciate that. You're Thank very you. welcome. <laughs> and to me, it was, so I think a lot of people, you know, they don't back things because in their mind, there's a, a risk. And the risks that they, they, they have in their mind is, is it ever going to get funded um, is it ever going to get shipped? And then by the time it does, would they still want it? In my mind, the reason why I no longer have that risk or that mentality is I'm finding a point where I can actually, you know, the hundred dollars is not going to kill my bank anymore. It's not going to kill my budget anymore. So right. I'm very grateful for that. But then secondly, I, you know, with Kickstarter, I realized, well, if it doesn't get funded, it get, my, my card doesn't get charged. So it's not a big deal. Right. Yeah. You know? You're protected. And, and it's one of those things where I'm like, well, this is something that, you know, I would like to get it, you know, in the next couple of months. But if it doesn't happen, you know, if it gets delayed, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Um, what, what, is your, what is your actual target date to, to have this stuff, like, ready? March. Okay. And, that we, and, you know, when I talk about, you know, the, the factory schedule and stuff, we're really affected by the big holiday in China. Mm-hmm. You know, we, um, the last week of January, everybody takes about a week off except the garment workers who are from the countryside who will take a month off. Mm. So uh, this is something that everybody that manufactures in China has to, has to deal with unless their factory is mostly worked by the city folks. But the country folks, they all go home for a month, and that's who pretty much runs the garment industry, garment manufacturing. Okay, that makes sense. And you know, for those who you know, aren't familiar with, with culture in, in China... A lot of people, they move to big cities like Beijing or um, whatever, Shanghai, Shanghai or something, yeah, sure. and they live there the whole year. They basically work seven days a week, and then they never see their family. They never take vacation, so then they want to take a long holiday over Chinese New Year. Right. And I made the mistake of going to Shanghai for Chinese New Year two years ago. Thinking, oh, it'd be so fun. It'd be like a celebration. <laughs> it was completely dead. There's nobody there. It looked like I am legend. Right. And the worst thing is, the people that were there were so angry that they were there and not at home. Right. <laughs> so yeah. all the taxi drivers, all the restaurant staff was just pissed, you know? Yeah. 
and it gave me such a bad taste for China as a whole. I'm sure if I was at the countryside, you know, in a smaller town, uh, maybe a different time of the year, I would have loved it. But you know, because I was there at that time in this big city where everybody was angry, I hated <laughs> China, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna go back. <laughs> Really? You're not yeah, going to go China. back. <laughs> Done. Okay. Done with China. <laughs> uh, so, um, when I backed your, your, your project, uh, the reason why I did it is, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Good people and good projects, good products should be shared, should be supported. But I didn't want to just plug it on my wall and say, oh, check out the shirt. I feel like if it's something that is worth recommending. It's worth investing in yourself. And Thank I you. and I really believe that, you know, if you're going to make a recommendation, you know, make an earnest recommendation. You know, recommend something that you've used, you know, or you know, you put your money where your mouth is and people listen to that. Yeah, I that I appreciate that and you know, when I look at my Kickstarter analytics, you know, the traffic that has come from Facebook sharing is really significant so i mean i have a lot of people to be uh to extend my gratitude towards for sure people like yourself and other people that have been yeah the response on facebook was much bigger than i thought it was going to mm. be what would um what did you think you know the the highest traffic source was going to be and what were the surprises like facebook well you know that's a good question I, i'm i thought it was going to be my list mm-hmm. um my list did okay. My list did good for me the first day. But after that, it was a lot of the social sharing. Um, I was not counting on Kickstarter so much because, you know, um, kind of what I was saying earlier, the, the shine has worn off of crowdfunding as a whole. But Kickstarter actually is um, uh, almost 30%. Kickstarter traffic is almost 30% of my pledges. Mm. So really surprised by that. I was, gonna, I was expecting to shoulder the entire thing. Do you think that it was because of your list that people started sharing on Facebook and then maybe because of Facebook that, you know, as there's more backers, as there's more money on there, it's almost like a social proof where Kickstarter started ranking it higher in their own organic features or like, do you know how that works? I think all of that comes into play. It's hard to say, you know, it's hard to pinpoint any single thing. But definitely in the early days, I, I got a premier placement on Kickstarter because of the strong start. Um, but yeah, I think the social sharing had a huge impact on that. Okay. Uh, and did you pay for any Facebook ads to once it's, it was launched to promote it more? Uh, a little bit. I was like, you know, I was boosting posts and things like that. There was a little bit of re- a return. It's, it can be a little bit hard to track in Kickstarter, mm-hmm. but um, I think I'm starting actually a paid campaign tomorrow through a company that I found. Um, I have a lot of confidence in them, but you know they're going to do a, a test and they're like, we should know within a day, maybe mm-hmm. even less than a day if it works. And a, and a lot of that is going to be, uh, kick, uh, excuse me, Facebook ads, and they are extremely confident. So. Um, I don't know. We're all kind of, I'm I'm crossing my fingers. Maybe we'll have to I don't know do a call in addendum to tell you how it went after a couple of days or something. Yeah, definitely be curious of that. I can at least put it to the show notes. But I'll say the paid Facebook for list building was good but expensive, mm. very expensive. Do you think you've gotten a positive return from that, or at least your money back from that? I think so, because I mean that's really what compi- ca- uh, 
uh, compiled a lot of my list. About half my list was well, I want to say about a third of my list came from Facebook paid Facebook ads, and I you know they got on my early bird discount list and that sort of thing. Um, and we targeted the right people. Um, but after that, you know, there's been a drop off, and I think other things have kind of carried it. Mm. So uh, those Facebook ads, what was on that? You know. Like, because people obviously didn't know what the shirt was yet, it wasn't out yet. Right. What was on that ad? Well, I specifically focused on people that were likely to know about Merino because mm-hmm. one of the things I found out is that it has a rabid global fan base. People that, like yourself, once you encounter it, once you have a garment and you're like familiar with it, it's just like with you in the ex officio underwear, you're like, this is, this is what I'm doing from mm-hmm. now on. So I tra- targeted a lot of athletes that are cyclists where Merino has a really fantastic reputation, rabid following. So the ads always had the word Merino. And they're like travel, nice travel clothing, 100% Merino style plus performance. Um, I tested out different, uh, different photos. Um, without fail, it was always the red shirt that performed the best. Mm. Um, you know, and there was just some sort of, you know, A-B testing like that. But it always heavily pushed the word Merino. That definitely makes sense. And, and you're very lucky that Merino isn't like a trademarked word. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. So I, I think that's a fantastic idea. I'm really glad that you did that. So I, can, I was also very, very excited uh, a few days ago when I saw that you guys had made your pledge, the, the $50,000. Did it, yeah. How did that feel when, when that hit? Good. Really good. You know, it was, you know, you brought up, you know, we talked about 30,000 earlier. I would have hit like a hundred percent, like in the first two or three days if I was at 30, 30,000. But, um, it took a little bit longer to get to that 50,000, but I felt like it was achieving a real goal. And, uh, I felt like at that point, this could be a real company that we're going to have real cash to pay real bills, to make real shirts. And so, yeah, it felt pretty good. I like it. So right now, as we're recording this, there's 332 backers, uh, and the total pledge is $55,651 with 15 days to go. Uh, This episode, I'm going to try to put it out by tomorrow, and hopefully some of you can check out the Kickstarter and support the shirt. Especially Thanks. if you're going to be traveling, which I'm sure 100% of you are, uh, and you know you want to to be able to look nice when you when you travel. And honestly, even if I lived back in LA and I never went anywhere but Vegas, I would still get the shirt because I don't want to go to a nightclub and and smell. I think that's yeah. the the biggest turnoff to a, to a woman. Yeah, travel is a lot of things, and you know, travel is about going to nightclubs. Mm-hmm. You know, travel is about going from LA to Vegas. Travel is about going from LA to Hong Kong or Tokyo. It's all of those things. So absolutely. So if you guys want to find the shirt, what's the easiest way for them to to find the campaign? Uh, I think that they can go to Kickstarter and if they just want to do a keyword, just keyword Libertad, L-I-B-E-R-T-A-D. It's the Spanish word for liberty. Um, you can also go to libertadapparel.com and link to it there. Find us on Facebook you know, or Instagram. Pretty much everything has the link now. Okay, I like it. Uh, so definitely, you know, if you guys haven't used Kickstarter, it's a very cool platform. Uh, I actually just got my first ever Kickstarter item. What was it? It was Exploding Kittens, the board game. Uh, I've heard about that. I haven't seen that. I haven't, I've heard about it, though. And I, re- I remember I ordered it, like, at least six months ago. It was a long time ago. Right. And the funny thing is, I think the most people that ordered it, it was because of the artist. Uh, he was the guy from the oatmeal. Really? Yeah. 
You know. Okay. I've never heard of them. Uh, I don't know, you know, where I've been hiding, maybe under a rock, but I've just never heard of the oatmeal guy. I think I've maybe I've seen his his drawings somewhere, but I didn't know who he was. I never read any of his comics. I didn't realize he has a marathon. Really? <laughs> I didn't know anything. I'm going to have to check that out myself. It's interesting. Yeah, and actually the box is right behind you if you want, if you want to take a look at it. It's uh, under the TV. But um, it's the thing about it was I just saw so many other people supporting it. You know, I watched the video, and the reason why I liked it was I was like, oh, this would be an easy travel game. It, it's a lightweight. Uh, it's something that, you know, the, the claim to it was you can learn how to play in two minutes. Uh, yeah. And I was like, okay, you know, let, let me just buy it. And I almost f- I completely forgot about it. And when it finally, you know, I got an email saying your order is ready to ship, you know, you know, um, confirm the address you want it. It was perfect because I think six months ago I had put another random address. I didn't know I was going to be in Thailand. Uh, and I, it was pretty easy to change. I was like, okay, well, you know, now I'm going to be here. So I had it set here. And this is on Kickstarter. On Kickstarter. Very simple. Super simple. Awesome. Yeah. And okay. I had it sent to my apartment here in Chiang Mai, Thailand, of all places. And it arrived. No duty fees. No custom fees. Nice. Uh, arrived. You know, package was perfect. So it made me kind of a big believer thinking, okay, you know what? Now I'm not so scared to... To order stuff online. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. There are a few, you know, stories of, of things happening out there, but you know, this is crowdfunding. You are giving money to any kind of product to be created, and you know, it it might take six months to make. You know, so like we make our fabric. Our fabric you can't buy anywhere else, and that alone takes three months. So, but you're getting something special. You're getting something unique, and so yeah, I hope there's a lot of people out you there like you that. Uh, you know, want something different, want something new and are willing to kind of wait for it. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, it's one of those things where it's, it'll be worth the wait. And it's one of those things where most people don't have the the mindset to to pre-order something and, you know, think that far ahead. Right. And most people want something right now. And the one thing that drives me kind of crazy is every single year... When the iPhone comes out, people wait in line. Just yeah. go the next day, right? Well, no, not even no, that. Okay, well, sometimes well. it just it sells out. Sometimes, so the, oh, you, right, you right. kind of okay. have to get it that day. But and I never bought a new iPhone until last year, just because I was never able to afford it. You know, right. I didn't even have a smartphone until literally three years ago, and it was a second-hand iPhone my sister gave me. So mm-hmm. she handed down this three S to me or something. Mm-hmm. And last year was the first time I ever bought a new iPhone and I just knew I'm like okay you know what it's time I've been working hard I want to buy an iPhone <laughs> yeah. and I, I watched the, the you know the announcement video and they said oh yeah just pre-order it this week and it'll be delivered the following you know on the day it comes out oh I see and I went on I pre-ordered it I you know I got it the very um, I got it sent to my friend's house in the US the very day it came out that's and, smart. That's a smart move by Apple to do that. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, I, then I also saw the news where people were camping out <laughs> since 4 a.m. waiting in this line and lines around the block. And I'm thinking, these people, do they not know they wanted this phone? You know? Like, yeah. why didn't they just order, you know, pre-order a week ago and they would have had it and they would never would have had to wait? Well, you know, I've had a couple emails of people like, I'm definitely going to buy this shirt when it becomes available. Well, that means... That, you know, and this is online, that mm-hmm. means that you're going to wait even longer, mm-hmm. you know, because you won't get it first. And then you're going to pay uh, 30, 40% more. 
Mm-hmm. You're going to pay more and actually wait longer if you wait until I'm selling these online. And you're not supporting the, the cause, the movement. Yeah, yeah. So, And to me, I, you know, I think that's actually a core of it where people, this is kind of one thing that holds people back in life, you know, is not having that abundance mentality where in your mind you're like, well, if I, I think I, I honestly feel it's very selfish for of people to say, you know what, I don't want to commit to anything until... I can get it. I can get the instant gratification. Uh, it's almost the same as, let's say, someone not making definite plans, you know, and right. just saying, "Oh yeah, let's hang out next week," but not committing to a day. Right. Right. And it's because in their mind they're thinking, "Well, what if something better comes up?" Yeah. Or what if I'm not in the mood for it at that time? Yeah. They don't commit to it. Yeah. Uh, but just like you know, pre-ordering something that you know you want, especially when it when that money that you pre-order with can help you know help grow the brand. Uh, and make it better for everyone. Uh, it's one of those things where, you know, that to me is a very abundant mentality saying, you know yeah. what, I want to support this because I believe in it. I want to help make it grow. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I'll certainly appreciate anybody else that kind of is of that same point of view. That would be fantastic. So if you want to order it, go to Kickstarter, uh, search for Libertad Apparel. It's L-I-B-E-R-T-A-D and it'll pop up. You can you can watch the video. It's a very cool video that was shot. Was it here in Chiang Mai? Uh, a little bit. Most of it was in Bangkok, though. Okay. Very cool. Uh, and you can see the shirt. You can see you know lots of testimonies of people talking about it. There's different rewards. Uh, so right now you can still get the. You, you're. I mean, your audience might be interested in. I mean, I'm giving away the attendance to this really great summit that's going to have speakers that. Uh, have really impacted my life and have a lot to do with entrepreneurship. Uh, you have people on there like Peter Shankman and Chris Ducker, and uh, you start to go down the line. You have people that like Derek Coburn. People might have heard of his book, Networking Is Not Working, but it, amazing information, amazing opportunity to see these people speak live from the comfort of your own apartment on your on your computer mm-hmm. and, and get some kind of exclusive uh, info. So normally, okay. you know, you'd have to pay for that. And we're going to be selling tickets to it after the Kickstarter is over. But the tickets are actually going to be more expensive than the shirt. Okay, wow. So might as well buy the shirt. So, and so, so people get that for free with the shirt? Free with the shirt. Yeah, I think I've got, I've got about eight speakers on there. So Yeah, that's really cool. So is this also going to be a live event or is it? It's a virtual. It's live and it's virtual. I okay. mean, if you can't make it, there will be a recording. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's on the same day. Everybody's going to have a different day. So you're not going to be spending all day in your apartment watching, you know, speaker after speaker on, on the screen. We're going to space them out. Okay. And it's called the Level 8 Summit. Right. Uh, Transformational Summit. Right. So I think that's a very cool bonus. Uh, I think, you know. It's my, it's my attempt at doing some branding to kind of say this is what the shirt is about. This is about the lifestyle. This is about, you know, really changing, you know, the path that you're going down wherever you are right now and sort of making transitions into something better for you. You know, I think that's very cool because even if someone's not already a location independent entrepreneur or not a ready digital nomad that's going to help them you know keep get them inspired so, yeah. get them started with it so that's my attempt anyway i like that okay so that's a nice free gift i actually didn't even think about that because when i when i ordered it i didn't even scroll down i just i just clicked it well you know this is the funny thing <laughs> this is kind of how it is on kickstarter now and, and on indiegogo is that the gifts often don't mean anything anymore it used to be partly about the gifts but this is i'm trying to like brand myself i'm trying to like say I'm going to give you something real that you can use. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give you something that's just sort of related to the shirt, like some kind of, I don't know what it would be, you know, extra set of buttons maybe, I don't know. 
but I wanted to give something more meaningful, something that actually could affect your life. Because you watched my video, it really is about how this, my life just sort of came to be, uh, how location independent and really taking some major risks, which this business is. And these people give the information on how to do that and be effective in doing it. I like it. And again, I want to say, you know, big congratulations. Thank I'm you. S- I'm so, so glad that, you know, the, the guy I met in the coffee shop a year and a half or two years ago, <laughs> you know, with this idea that... Stuck I, with it. I, yeah. I mean, I honestly, you know, if, if this didn't happen, I would have just assumed you didn't stick with it because most people don't. You know, right. Most people would have given up a year ago every time there was a different hurdle. Right, right. And now that you've stuck with it, you know, even though, you know... $55,000 sounds like a lot. You know, that's years and years of work <laughs> and that money's going to go into manufacturing the shirts. That's right. Every last dime. So, I think, I so originally I actually thought, well, you know what? You've hit the goal. Why are you even still promoting it? But it's it's because you want to be able to to not just, you know, have a small run of this. You want to grow this into a, a real business. Absolutely. Yeah. We got to be able to buy some extra shirts doing this and then sell them and you know fund the next phase i like it so if you guys are interested in looking good smelling good and feeling good while traveling go on kickstarter support the shirt kyle thank you for being on the show thanks for having me if someone wants to reach out to you uh what's the best way to to get in touch or follow your your stuff they can message me via the website via instagram via kickstarter all right now all messages all me emails are coming to me info at libertadapparel.com or you know through my contact page whatever okay it all comes to me awesome uh everyone thanks so much for listening uh big shout out to everyone who's been leaving five-star reviews on itunes uh I, I haven't checked it in a while and I was blown away about how many people are taking the time because I know it's such a, like a clunky platform to go you have to open the actual iTunes app and then click on you know uh, reviews and ratings search for the podcast click like eight things but then when you get to it you know you can leave a review to support the show to, to spread it out and I just discovered that on your iPhone if you search for travel like a boss podcast click on reviews you can actually write uh, a review on your iphone so thank you for everyone who's taking the time to do that and if you haven't already i really appreciate if you do uh kyle thanks so much for being on the show and everybody i will see you next week thank you for listening to the travel like a boss podcast if you want to hear more including the bonus how to choose the perfect niche episode join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.